Thanks for listening to the Mornings with Carmen LaBerge podcast, made available thanks to support from listeners just like you. Your daily encouragement that God has the world in the hollow of his hand. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. If we're gonna fly, we fly like eagles. Good morning. Good morning. It is the 3rd of April, 2023. Uh, It is Monday of Holy Week. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LaBerge. This is the Faith Radio Network. Thank you so much for including me um, in your day. I know your time is precious, so we will will use it well. Today's Growing Your Faith verse of the day comes from Luke chapter 19, verses 45 and 46. If you've not already signed up to join us in reading through the Bible together during Holy Week, we have special things to email you every single day. So go to MyFaithRadio.com and don't miss um, any of the installments this week reading through the Bible together during Holy Week. Luke 19, verses 45 and 46. Then Jesus entered the temple and began to drive out the people selling animals for sacrifices. And he said to them, the scriptures declare... My temple will be a house of prayer. You have turned it into a den of thieves. So hopefully you spent time yesterday worshiping um, with others and acknowledging that Jesus entered Jerusalem um, on, on what we consider Palm Sunday, the triumphal entry. Hopefully you um, cried out to God the God who saves us, and hopefully you spent some time crying out that God would save. Hosanna, Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Today, um, we follow Jesus into the temple. And I want you to just imagine that moment for a moment. Imagine that moment for a moment. Because we're talking here about um, the second temple, right? This is Herod's temple. Um, It's a massive complex. It would have dominated the I mean, it would be the central figure. It's it, it still is the the Temple Mount, still the central figure in Jerusalem. But in in these in the days in which we're talking, in the days of Jesus, we're we're talking about a temple that is reconstructed. Now you know sort of the glory or the splendor of Solomon's temple, but that temple was destroyed, um, and when it was restored, there was some disappointment. But then Herod the Great saw to the construction of the second temple. And the second temple is what's in view here, I mean, as a physical structure. When Jesus rides into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, it's the temple where um, Jesus would have been presented um, when he was just a few days old. Um, The stories of Simeon and Anna come forward here. Uh, This is the temple where Jesus' worried parents found him when he was 12 years old. And he's like, you know, why were you even looking for me? I mean, I'm, I'm in my father's house doing the father's business. This is the temple where Jesus taught frequently and healed. Think of Solomon's portico. Think of the stories you know that take, take place at the beautiful gate. This is that temple. The curtain of this temple would be torn in two from top to bottom. And the holy of holies laid bare. As the one who today enters the temple as Jesus is soon going to be revealed as the reality of God, not only with us, but the savior of the world, the one who makes the way. 
for you and I to enter into the presence of a holy God. Yeah, we're sinners, but his righteousness is imputed to those who believe in his name. So Jesus is ultimately the temple. And so like you have to like get all of that into your mind when you think about this moment of Jesus walking into the temple. Um, and so I just encourage you today to think about um, covenant theology and all that is unfolded by God in, uh, in the scriptures of the Old and New Testaments in relationship to the temple um, and the things that Jesus experiences and other people experience in the presence of Jesus at the temple throughout the course of his life. And then during this Holy Week, I'm just going to invite you to see Jesus. Just see Jesus this week. See Jesus walking and praying and knowing what lies ahead. Jesus spending time with his dearest friends, making the journey at the end of every day back to Bethany to spend the night at the home of Mary and Martha and Lazarus, eating and teaching. In those quiet moments, what's going through his mind as he's watching his disciples, the people he loves best in the world, or his mom. See Jesus getting alone with the Father this week. See him preparing his friends for something that none of us could really actually imagine if we had been there. That he would be crucified. Go slow this week. Take it in. This is the week that changed the world. Is it possible it could change you? You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LaBurge. This is Faith Radio. Our friend Dave Buring is back with us today from Lionshare. You can find what we're talking about today at lionshare.org. Good morning, Dave. Good morning. Happy Easter week. Mm-hmm. Happy Easter week. So um, uh, I, I see these notes in front of me, and I have um, printed out like uh, 24 pages. So I'm <laughs> thinking that you and I might um, have this conversation about transformation and the transformed life, that we, you and I might start this conversation today, but that we might have it over um, the course of several visits. Would that be okay? That would be just dandy. Because I um I think this is a critical um conversation. There are a lot of people who um, think they're Christians. I mean, they say they're Christians. They've, they've, mm-hmm. made, they've, they've made the transaction. They've done the deal. They've, uh, you know, right? Um, they have prayed the prayer, but their life is not transformed. Can you talk yeah. with us about what we're going to seek to address, and then we'll start addressing it? Yeah. Carmen, I, it's a concern that I have, and it's something I've watched for decades now where someone sincerely has that moment where they encounter Jesus, very real life 
you know, invite Jesus to become the Lord of their life. Their sins are forgiven. But what often happens is they're not connected to a further along follower of Jesus to begin to grow. And mm. there's not not an understanding that, um, look, this is this Christian thing, this following Jesus thing isn't just about following Jesus to heaven. It's about following Jesus on earth. And oftentimes we kind of feel like tickets have been punched to heaven. We're good. And we just attend church and we learn a bit about the Bible, maybe look for a way to serve and give a little bit. But but this thing is completely different. The reality is Jesus has come into our life in the power of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God comes into our lives and he wants to start making us look more like Jesus. Our personality, our gifts, the way we look, all that stuff. But he wants to explode in and through our lives to touch a lost world. So, Dave, um, I want us to imagine that, you know, we are somebody listening right now who is like, well, but I, I do all the right things. I go to church. I mm-hmm. listen to Carmen. I, uh, right. I do a day. <laughs> That's right. I, uh, I'm tuned in right now. I mean, surely I'm doing it right. This is not about, I mean, there is some doing involved. Absolutely. Um, but sure. this is about becoming, this is about shedding and dying and becoming this, this tran- can you just talk a little bit about the transformation process that you're inviting us to consider? Yeah. And, and I think you're exactly right. It's like, you and I know as followers of Jesus, as friends, that we cannot transform ourselves. It's it's an impossibility. And people can be a big help and encouragement to it, but ultimately they can't transform us. God is the only one that can bring about transformation. And just this is purely an observation from scripture and how God does this in people's lives. It seems like the way transformation comes, Carmen, is when God reveals something to us. He shows us something from scripture. It might be driving our car and in our heart, we know that, and I got to make that thing right with that person, or I need to be able to, to go do this thing because the Lord's asking me to. It's when God reveals something to us and we engage that. This is like our part, like God does the revealing. But our response to him is simply obedience. I'm going to go do that thing that I think God's putting in my heart to do. Then transformation comes. And one of the ways I like to express it, how I experience it in my own life and have watched others is obedience is the engine of transformation. So God does the revealing and God does the transforming. He does all the heavy lifting. Our role in this is simply responding to what he's initiated in obedience to him. And then we can watch him do things both in and through our lives. So I want you to hear that again. Obedience is the engine of transformation. So if you're listening right now and you're saying to yourself, okay, I actually know what God has said. I have, um, I am a person who has been saturated in the word of God and I have been, um, I have sat under very good teaching. I actually know the truth. Um, but I have not responded in obedience. Like that's the disconnect. And we want to talk about it and we just want to acknowledge it and we want to recognize it. So obedience is the engine of transformation. We're going to unpack that further with our friend Dave Buring in just a moment. You can find what we're talking about at lionshare.org. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen. 
As you know, this is a rebroadcast of the live radio show carried on the Faith Radio Network. There's a lot going on at Faith Radio. Tons of free resources just waiting for you and for you to share with others at MyFaithRadio.com. How does that all happen? Well, it happens through listener support. So Faith Radio, Mornings with Carmen, all available because of listener support from listeners, well, just like you. If you're a supporter, thank you so very much. If you'd like to become a supporter today, just visit MyFaithRadio.com. And again, thanks for being a part of what we do every day at Mornings with Carmen. All right, we're talking with our friend Dave Buring from LionShare, and we're talking about the transformed life and the process of transformation. Um, Dave, when we uh, when we talk about obedience being the engine of transformation, let's just settle in there a little bit longer and talk with us about um, obedience. So when we look at Jesus, there's several things that he said to us related to obedience. And Carmen, I know all of us have had different experiences when it comes to this word obedience. And the thing I want to just start by saying is Jesus said in John 14, 15, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. That's a relational statement. That's not a prove it to me, buddy, that you love me. It's a relational statement. And if we love Jesus, the way that we love people that are close in our lives, there's a desire to bring him joy, to please his heart, to do what he asks us to do. So I think, you know, when Jesus first spoke these words, I think if his disciples were, you know, then looking at him, he kind of would have said, hey, if you love me, maybe with a little bit of a shrug, then you'll obey me. In other words, it just makes sense. Like if you love someone who you have the opportunity to follow in light of all that they've done for you, forgiveness from our sins, uh, a destination of heaven for our future, uh, authority over the devil where he tries to attack us. It's out of love that we walk in obedience to Jesus. So I want to begin with that point because I think that's a really key thing. Love is the basis of our obedience, not performance. Dave, when we talk about, I want to back up um, just one second, because when we talk about transformation, we're not just talking about like a, a somewhat better version of myself. Mm-hmm. Can you That's... can you be sure that I know where I'm headed here? Um, because, you know, I want to submit in obedience, but when I start inviting God to be doing that work, like he alone knows the outcome. <laughs> He, yeah. he alone knows where that process is headed. It's not like, oh, I have this vision board of the best version of myself, and yeah. I'm going to invite God to make me that. That's not <laughs> what we're talking about here. No, we're not. We're talking about how Jesus sets aim on our lives to transform us from the inside out. And it is a process, and but it's something that we have to realize. It, it's like you said, it's not something you put on a vision board. So, okay, I'm going to take these next three goal steps to get to here. It's actually being responsive to what he initiates because he's the only one that knows 10 years from now, 20 years from now, 50 years from now, depending on our age, what it is that he wants to be doing both in and through our lives. And so he sees that. He knows that. Like I think I'm 63 and when I was 18, 19, 20 and really pursuing Jesus hard in my life, somebody came alongside and helped me see this and said, Dave, you don't know what you're going to be doing. I'll just pick 63 when you're 63. But 
Jesus does, and he knows what you need to be prepared for those moments in your life. And so just follow his lead. So all of a sudden, when he started convicting me of areas in my life, of sin areas or areas of hurt where I needed to be healed, it was responding to him. It wasn't fix me. It wasn't grow me. It wasn't mature me. It was let me be obedient to what he's highlighting in my life. And as I do that, he does stuff in me. That's where, again, it's God reveals something to us. We be responsive and obedience to him out of love and transformation begins to come in our lives. So what God reveals to us, he intends for us to obey. I want you to think about this for just a second. Obedience is the engine of transformation. So is there anything that God has revealed to you that you have not obeyed? And if you've been wondering, like, you know, why am I stifled? Um, that That is a good, good place to, to turn today. Um, Dave, yeah. I would be remiss if you and I didn't... Um, uh, didn't acknowledge that the community in which we live is desperately sad right now. Um, yes. And so um, for those of you listening and maybe don't know this, Dave and I both live in the greater Nashville area um, and both of our congregations and many of our friends have been directly affected by uh, the shooting that took place at the Covenant School last week. Mm-hmm. Um, I just want to give you the opportunity to address the desperate sadness. Yeah, it's... it's uh... It's been a pretty interesting week just watching our community here respond to this. You know, by the grace of the Lord, we hadn't had to deal with something quite like this until last Monday. And I was actually at a at the church last Sunday where the um, headmaster of the school was. And, you know, to, to hear and learn of, you know, what had happened was shocking to me. And that that Monday evening, I was in a conference here in town that uh, is a part of fellowship of leaders that I'm a part of. And it was just remarkable to, remarkable to me how many people at that event that I spoke to knew one of the six people that had passed. And the thing that we have to remember in all of this, in the midst of our mourning, in the midst of our grieving and our shock, a couple of things. One is we do need to rejoice in where those people are right now and that they are in the presence of the Lord. And the Bible talks about that. We do not mourn without hope. And it is something that, you know, the fact of the matter is those six, although we miss them here, their families are desperate today. Those six are basically saying, you guys should be here with me. Wait till you see what I'm seeing and what I'm experiencing. And that creates hope within us. Secondly, yesterday in our church service, we prayed for the family of the the young woman that was at the core of all this Mm -hmm. and can only imagine her family and the devastation they're walking through. And I think we need to continue to pray for them. And um, and then we need to, to pray for our city, that this is a time that there can be a unity, particularly amongst the body of Christ and not divisiveness and and asking Jesus to heal the hearts of those that are just flat out sad. So let's pray for that. Let's pray over the school and the church there. And uh, Jesus, like one of the prayers, Carmen, I've learned to pray in bad situations. I was taught this early. Jesus, I don't understand how you're going to do this, but would you in some way be glorified through all of this? And so I think that's another prayer we can pray. Yeah. Dave, as always, um, thank you so much. Maybe we'll just, uh, we'll conclude um, here today with a prayer. 
Father, thank you. Thank you for the privilege of coming into your presence as brothers and sisters in Christ and bowing down before you, acknowledging that um, we don't understand. We don't know. We don't know how to respond. We're insufficient. We need you. Um, We long to feel safe. Um, And so, Father, shelter us today. Hold in your tender mercies those um, who've been directly affected and those who've been indirectly affected. Um, Each child and each parent and each church member and each member of the community and each neighbor um, of every single one of these families, including the Hales. Father, let um, let us never lose sight of your desire to redeem and transform. Um, yeah. And yes, yes, Jesus, even though we don't understand how, use this to glorify yourself in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Amen. my brother. Thank you. Have a good day. Thank you. We're going to continue our conversation with Dave Buring on this um, subject of transformation over the course of his next several visits, which I just sprung upon him. Um, but it's a, um, it's a really critical conversation, and obedience is the engine of transformation. So I want you to consider all the things that you know that God has revealed to you, that he has revealed are his will. And then measure yourself against that and say, where have I failed to be obedient to what I know God has instructed and directed me to do? Transformation comes when we are obedient to what God has revealed. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge. This is Faith Radio. All right, I don't want to say that there's going to be one story dominating the news, um, but there's going to be pretty much one story dominating the news this week in the United States of America. Um, By now, everyone is aware that the district attorney in the Southern District of New York has brought an indictment against the former U.S. President Donald Trump. Um, Former President Trump is scheduled to travel from his Florida home in Mar-a-Lago, Um, to his home in Manhattan at Trump Tower sometime later today. He is then expected to present himself for booking tomorrow. Um, I would expect that is going to be in the afternoon. They have talked about um, uh, something earlier, but um, the Secret Service is planning on doing a lot of security sweeping. Uh, It's important to know that uh, Mr. Trump's former lawyer, um, Michael Cohen, um, has said that he expects complete and total mayhem. Uh, So that's not good. Um, That's not a good forecast. Others are also projecting that the former president might try to turn his arraignment into a bit of a spectacle. Um, I think my hope is that you and I can acknowledge that there's a lot that we do not yet know. Um, And um, yeah, so we just, I mean, the the indictment's actually sealed until tomorrow when they are going to read it um, in, you know, during the arraignment. Um, So we will talk about this unprecedented moment in American history with Professor Adam Carrington, um, but we're also not going to get beyond the facts because as Christians, right, the truth actually matters to us. And so um, we're going to try to have a conversation about things that matter in relationship to this um, and then also steer clear of maybe the things that don't matter in relationship to this. So that's up next here on Mornings with Carbon.
Joining us now, Dr. Adam Carrington from Hillsdale College. Good morning, Adam. Good morning. How are you, Carmen? Well, I'm I'm uh, I'm actually on the mend. I uh, I picked up a little. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. Do you pick up a virus? It, if it's like a cold and maybe the flu, is it a virus? Is that what I picked up? Possibly. Yeah. <laughs> Some. Uh, I'm not. I'm not that kind of doctor. So. I, yeah. I yeah. So there speculate. you go. Yeah. I don't really know. It's the kind though that you just have to work through on your own. That's the kind I have. And so yeah, I'm working through it. I might still sound a little gravelly, um, but that's okay. How about you? How are you doing? Uh, uh, d- doing well. Doing well. We. Uh, I was telling uh, Paul Fair we had had a two week cold going around the whole campus really, and uh, so I had two days. You're saying about how you sound where. Basically, I'd almost lost my voice and mm-hmm. kept teaching, but uh, the students were put through me sounding a bit like John Mellencamp singing. So uh, I, I don't, I don't, I, I, I am sorry I put them through that, but we, we, we got through it. So ho- ho- okay. hope the same for you. And you, you sound much better than I did. Uh, world's oh better. well, thank you. Lots of tea. Lots of tea. I've been drinking lots of tea. There you go. Um, I would like to start um, uh, today. I mean, we're going to get to the conversation about the former president here in just a moment. But I'd like to start today about this stretch of road between Palm Sunday and Easter, um, because there there's a political conversation to have here um, about the politics of the day in which Jesus lived um, against, uh, you know, a, a conversation about the power of the day, which was the Roman Empire. Um, And about the fact that that kingdom does not exist any longer, but his kingdom certainly does. Can we can you just kind of frame this week for us in terms of political? um, I mean, the way that a a person with a political mindset thinks about Holy Week. Absolutely. I think that a way to think about this week is that you have uh, God. not necessarily following what we think he is doing uh, and not following necessarily the plans as we would maybe have made them ourselves. And so you have in Palm Sunday, the triumphal entry into Jerusalem with the crowd singing Hosanna and laying down palms. I'm sure many people at their churches had palms yesterday as part of their worship service, but that almost immediately what seemed to be to many a, a triumphant immediate political entry into a kind of a temporal kingship, a reestablishment of the throne of David and Solomon from ancient Hebrew times turns into the cross where everyone that isn't mocking him has abandoned Jesus except for a couple women and one disciple. And so to think about how much that seemed to be a dashing of political hopes and a dashing or or, or a, a, a way that the fulfillment of prophecy didn't happen, uh, I think is is something that people struggle with in a different way today, where they are struggle with why doesn't God vindicate many of the claims of justice, of right? Uh, why is his church under attack in so many places? And I think the way to juxtapose that is to think, what does it mean when Jesus in, at one of his lowest points is telling Pilate, the, the the political ruler of the time, my kingdom is not of this world. And I don't think it means that uh, God is not reigning on the throne now. It doesn't mean that one day that the political as we understand it and the spiritual will become one and they'll become one in the earthly uh, new heavens and new earth reign of Christ. 
but that um, Christ comes as a servant now, and he comes to break the kingdom in at the cross and and in re- re- rising from the grave, and that that sort of leaves us in an already not yet tension where the kingdom has already broken in, and it's not that we don't see pieces of that, and that every act of justice is a breaking into the kingdom that we should do all we can to to be God's instruments to usher in, but that that final consummation still waits and that the resurrection is the uh, promise, the down payment, the the future hope that uh, the as 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 it says in the Hallelujah chorus, which is from the book of Revelation, the kingdoms of this world have become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ. And uh, uh, the the idea that um, God has partially done that already and will fully do that in the future is, I think, the political tension we live in where we can neither get rid of the world, we can neither ignore it and move away from it uh, and have no hope for it, but we also cannot make it a utopia on Earth. I think the move from Palm Sunday to uh, the grave and Friday and 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 the resurrection and sa- Sunday show us, I think, show us that politically. That's so helpful to, um, you know, sort of remember the political reality um, of the whole thing. And, you know, when we say that Jesus is the king of the Jews um, or when Pilate, you know, when when that's the inscription and others say, well, no, don't say that. Say he said he was the king of the Jews. And um, and yet that is who he is hailed, um, you know, as Hosanna, the one who comes to save, the God who saves. Uh, and and then, you know, when we fast forward and we acknowledge that it's not just about a kingdom of the earth, it's about the kingdom of God. And it's and this is its inbreaking and its establishment and um, and it's unfolding now, and we're a part of that, and we're ambassadors of it, and we get to advance it in this generation, and we get to go home to it eventually. Like, all of that is wound up in what's going on in the unfolding events of Holy Week. So thank you for helping us frame this stretch of road that we find ourselves on um, right now in terms of in terms of people who want to celebrate um, and, 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 like, be students of— and sit at the feet of and walk with and then agonize over what happens um, in the course of this week. So it's really helpful. Thank you, Adam. Oh, thank Um, you. Yeah, go ahead. Oh, yeah. And I was just going to say, and one thing to remember is that this kingdom is, that is in breaking is much more expansive than any human kingdom. It's not a kingdom merely over men's actions, their deeds, their possessions. It's a kingdom that ultimately rules in their hearts. And that will therefore not just change hearts, but minds, and that will therefore embrace a, a, the, the kind of heaven on earth that we've always wanted and longed for since Eden. And I think that's something to say that the kingdom, as we want it, has been delayed in its full consummation, but it will be unlike in the best of ways any kingdom that we've seen on this earth, even the ones we most love and cherish, maybe like our own uh, United States of America. So I think that's something to be hopeful for, too. That's so good. All right, let's spend a couple of minutes talking about, um, you know, what is absolutely going to be the major news story across, you know, every outlet this week. And that is that the former president, um, Donald Trump, is facing um, an indictment. He is scheduled to be arraigned tomorrow 
in Manhattan. Um, maybe maybe some thoughts related to this. We don't actually know what's in the indictment, and I keep reminding people of that. Um, so, you know, where where are we, and and how as Christians can we be like framing this conversation? I think that. Uh, I, I know you said on air before I came on to be careful about what we don't know. We know that there are, it seems that there are over 30 uh, uh, counts that will be read tomorrow. I think that uh, there is a good reason to think, given the nature of the investigations, that it has something to do with uh, hush money related to an affair. I know people can look up the kind of sorted details about that. Um and I do think, uh, uh, though, that, uh, yeah, we should wait to see how strong of a case this is. I would not immediately, based on people's political biases, decide that either this is utterly frivolous or, on the other side, that this couldn't be a case that uh, really doesn't hold a whole lot of water, legally speaking, regardless of the moral implications. So to to keep an eye on that. Um and I think that uh, it, it's a time where we really should say that uh, we want the rule of law to 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 be in effect and that the rule of law is a gift of God. And why is it a gift from God? Because when men rule based according to their own pleasure, their own biases, their own hatreds, then people made in the image of God are treated unjustly. They're oppressed. And that occurs across the political spectrum and so what we want to hope is that the rule of law and the procedures that bolster the rule of law will be obeyed by both sides here but that truth will be vindicated and that uh i think the other thing is that we try to keep a line between legality and morality not that the two are completely separate but that not every uh, immoral thing is illegal but then again, not every uh, legal thing uh, uh, legal thing is as bad as morally uh, legal things. <laughs> and so I think uh, separating out God's law from positive law and seeing that ultimately God's law is the one that matters more, I think those are all principles that we can already take, even not knowing exactly what we don't, not knowing everything yet, and say that um, let's bring those principles to bear and uh, uh, try to be uh, a wise but also loving and uh, uphold the principles by which I think that we can see our own protections in, in the rule of law. I also think this is one of those weeks, Adam, where as Christians, we just we have to take a deeper breath maybe than, um, than the culture wants anybody to take right now. Like the culture wants everybody to be breathless and engaging in, you know, hot, hot debate Um over things that we currently don't have any influence over. Like this is a legal process. It is working itself out, um, whether you like it or not. Um, and and so I just want to encourage people to um, be thoughtful and maybe pause before you respond or react um, and recognize that other people are very interested in you being very inflamed one direction or the other. Um over many, many things. And then you have to ask yourself, who does that serve? Who, who does that serve? Um, and so let's be people who are thoughtful and measured and prayerful um, and respectful of others in the midst of, of what is an unfolding 
legal process, again, whether you like it or not. So, um, Adam, let's return to this conversation in just a moment. Um, I'd love to look at this um, this unfolding story in St. Petersburg, Florida. Let me ask you right now, um, do you think that your church is too political? How would you know? How would you know if your church is on the right or the wrong side of that political line? Well, there's an IRS complaint filed against a church in St. Petersburg, Florida, and we're just going to look at that next. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. Welcome your king, Palm Sunday. Sit next to him at the table during the Last Supper. Feel the hurt and betrayal, the agony of death. Be the first to celebrate at the empty tomb on Easter morning. Join Faith Radio's Reading the Bible Together Holy Week study as we walk with Jesus to the cross. Get your free study guide and access to the Reading the Bible Together podcast by signing up now at MyFaithRadio.com. This is my body given for you. This is the cup that holds the blood. Continuing our conversation with Dr. Adam Carrington from Hillsdale College. Adam, this, um, this this story out of St. Petersburg, Florida, caught my attention. There is a church there that's the subject of an IRS complaint for being too political. Um, I, I, would, uh, I would say, it's just by my personal judgment, um, the things that are being said and the person who is saying them, the pastor, um, and the places in which these things are being said— feels very, very political to me. But what what is really the issue here? Well, certainly there's some personal uh, 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 animus going back and forth because of who the the, the church seems to have been supporting. But this is uh, Allendale United Methodist Church. And I think that even with that back and forth, a former mayoral candidate filed the complaint is why I mentioned the first thing. Um, yes, there seem to be very overt enough that probably warrants an IRS investigation of the uh, of the pastor of the church uh, using church grounds, using the backdrop of the church, using church time and other things to essentially endorse candidates and positions that are at stake in local and, and statewide elections. And the to, to maintain one's uh, tax-exempt status in general, uh, not just um, for for church organizations. That's um, pardon me for churches. That's not allowed. Uh, and and so I, I know that typically the IRS tends to tread a little carefully on these things as far as how it has to be proven. But these seem overt enough that it could result in some sort of fine or something else from the IRS. But I think it does bring out the the broader issue beyond the legality of. How should the church? How should the church be approaching um, political matters and doing so in a way that affirms? And I think this really is the line: How do you affirm the truths of the gospel, the truths of God's uh, moral law that He has given from the moment of our creation, and at the same time, not allow for a church to be captured by a particular political party or agenda? And I, I don't think the answer, and this goes back to really what we were talking about with the how to look at Holy Week politically, is uh, the, 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 it takes a certain amount of wisdom because the idea that you would just make the church the wing of a particular political agenda is off because uh, Christ's kingdom is not of this world. 
At the same time, God has made this world. He made it good. He's established government and us as citizens within that government for actual goods. And so therefore we can't just retreat and, and, and leave the political spectrum entirely. And so I think it really does take a wisdom of saying, <clears throat> when and where are you affirming <clears throat> the gospel and, and what God has said about human beings, about justice? And when are you engaging in particular political uh, uh, programs? So I'd say, for example, I don't know that uh, within any reasonable measure, God has a position on what the tax rate should be, or that even I could be a little more controversial, that God's uh, immigration policy might not be exactly the same as any one political agenda today. But how do we understand what it means to love our neighbor, to protect our neighbor, what does it mean to fairly and justly uh, grain resources for those uh, means with a tax rate? I think those are the kind of things that uh, a church can speak to, but needs to speak to above and beyond the partisanships of the day. So I'll just remind um, everybody listening who, uh, when you look this story up, you're going to say, all right, well, those people are saying, you know, not to vote for the people that I think should be elected. And so, yes, they should lose their tax exempt status. I'm thinking back to the late 1990s when a church in New York um, actually lost its tax-exempt status um, because it ran ads uh, explicitly warning Christians against voting for Bill Clinton. And so it, it, it you could be on either side of this uh, moral concern, right? And so there are times that churches um, are trying to raise moral concern, and when they do so, um, they sort of of necessity do so in a political environment that is very, very charged and polarized. So I want to talk about that polarized environment, um, Adam, here for just uh, another minute. There is a lot of um, back and forth um, in relationship to trans ideology, bills related to um, trans people, people who are identifying as a gender other than their biological sex, just can you just read us in a little bit on where we are? Try to help us find our feet in this. Right. And I think this is an extension of the greater um, really sexual revolution. And I mean by sexual revolution, just the massive changes that have been going on really for decades in different ways about how we understand what it means to be male and female, what, what how we understand the the way that uh, we interact, uh, our, our roles and places in in the home and society, and you know, and, and I think some for good, some uh, for for not good at all. And uh, as and and the latest, I think, iteration of that has been this idea of people that are um, uh, uh, the transgender movement and those who identify as a. A, uh, a sex different than their biological birth. And there has been a reaction to this. I think as there have been in the other instances where people are trying to say, how do we affirm uh, a traditional, I would say biological and even biblical uh, views of, of um, male and female. Uh, but then on the other side has been the the question of in doing so, especially a lot of these battles have been in the on the education front. What do you tell kids and when do you tell them and how do you tell them that respects parents rights, uh, but also is is part of the education system. 
Um, but the other, I think, has been how do you do so in a way that is, again, back to previous themes we were talking about, loving your neighbor. Uh, how do you speak the truth in love? And I think that what especially Christians are trying to figure out is how do we affirm the truths that male and female God created them? How and But how do we also love our neighbor? How do we love our friends, our family who uh, are struggling through this and are hearing one thing from the culture, hearing a similar thing maybe internally in their own struggles, and, and that this is a manifestation of their own struggle with the fall and sin that we all have, even if we have more uh, socially in the Christian circles acceptable versions of that, that doesn't make them better. Um, and, and, and so I think a lot of the laws and battles and the debate that's coming out of um, what happened, the terrible thing that happened in Nashville is sort of manifesting these things. Mm-hmm. And uh, Christians are in such, I think, a challenging position where we just have to think in ways we haven't had to before. And we have to be so on point with our message. We have to be so grounded in the gospel. We have to uh, not just wear it like a coat we can take on and take off. It has to be uh coursing through our veins. It has to be our very bones and marrows. And uh, that's how you can speak the truth in love. But that's that's not easy. That's not natural. That's something we need the Holy Spirit for. And I think that's um, how this 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 greater debate is manifesting itself as we try to speak love and truth to the culture in a time where speaking love and tr- truth is not the easiest thing to do. Yeah, and we stand in and we stand in the wake of um, people grieving deeply um, all around, and so I just think you know we we have to proceed very very carefully um, in the days in which we live, and we need to be a people that are uh, deeply attuned to um, the spirit and the will of God. Um, because the times in which we live are tremendously challenging. Adam, thank you um, so much for joining us today. We value our time with you. Thank you so much for having me. I, I again, appreciate the, the the fact that you all are such a wonderful forum to have these kind of conversations. It really is, I think, a model of Christian charity. So thank you. Thank you so much. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LaBurge. This is Faith Radio. All right, we got another hour up next. Stay tuned. Thanks for listening to Mornings with Carmen LaBurge. Podcasts like this are available because of your support. If it's important to you to hear things that encourage your faith, click the link in the show notes to give now. And thanks.